Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Thursday, March 26, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. He is social distancing at home. I'm social distancing at home. The United States now has more confirmed coronavirus cases than any other country in the world. We've passed Italy. We've passed China. We are now number one in the type of thing you don't want to be number one in. Obviously, uh, scary times for all of us, or at least all of us with a brain. And Norlander, I got a, I got a confession to make. Lay it on me. Today is actually the first day that I've missed sports, that I actually thought about what we could be doing today and got depressed thinking about it. I saw last Thursday all the, everybody tweeting, ah, the NCAA tournament would be you know, getting underway right now. And I was like, eh, I'm going to maybe just try to take a nap or something. You know, like I was, I did, it didn't. That was gonna, not happening, though. Continue. Uh, yeah, but no, I know. There's, naps are impossible. <laughs> naps are impossible. Everything's impossible. But I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll just uh, try to catch up on Better Call Saul. Like I didn't have this feeling of, oh, man, this sucks. I, you know, I'm not talking about the NCAA tournament today. But today is the day where I really got like – I don't want to say depressed because that's a real term and people are really going through it. I wasn't depressed. I was just – I was noticeably down because today would have been opening day in Major League Baseball. So we'd have had Mets, Nationals, Cubs, Brewers, Dodgers, Giants, Angels, Astros, Yankees, Orioles. And then I went to Jerry Palm's final projected bracket and I just looked at what we could have been watching tonight. And, man, I was like, all right, this sucks. What, I mean, Okay, so what were the projected – Thursday night Sweet 16 matchups if seeds actually held to form. And, of course, it was Jerry's projection, not the real thing. What were they? Tonight, in the Midwest region, this would have been the the big, big game, Kansas-Kentucky. That's a biggie right there. That, and we'd have had Duke-Creighton. So we'd have probably had Duke-Creighton early on Thursday night. And then Kansas-Kentucky um, – by the way, that would have put Duke, Kansas, Kentucky all in the same building on one night, like it's a Champions Classic or something. Yeah. It's basically the Champions Classic with Creighton. That's what the Midwest Regional would have been. Am I remembering correctly? So, so remember, um, GP was this? This was two years ago, wasn't it? When remember Kansas Duke? So the Midwest Region would have been. Oh, never mind. I'm I, I'm confusing the sites and regions because I'm like because that would have been in Indianapolis, correct? If they had played there, I'm not sure. You tell me. I don't remember. Yeah, anything yeah. About Indianapolis. I thought I, in my brain I had it that they were going to play in Omaha, but Omaha had a first weekend site this year, and it had a regional two years ago. I remember because I was in Boston after having watched. Uh, Villanova get past Texas Tech to make the Final Four, and as I was just finishing that, that's when Kansas and Duke played that tremendous 
Elite Eight game that went to overtime, and you'll recall Kansas won to make the Final Four. So in my brain, I just quickly thought, wait a second, Omaha would have had two regionals in a, in a three-season span. That doesn't make any sense. And it would not have been the case. They would have been in Indianapolis. As you, met, as you bring this up, and we don't have to slip too far down the slide, but I just will mention this. Once again, I have CBS Sports Network on mute in my office as we record, as we did two nights ago. And the game right now is I have loved and enjoyed so many NCAA tournament games over the years, but there have been a handful in which the results have either annoyed me or outright made me angry. And I really don't think I've ever been more frustrated or literally angry at how a team blew a game ever, ever. I'm watching it in real time right now. There's 8.15 to go. Gonzaga just went up 62-49 against UCLA in the 2006 Sweet 16. This game is brutal beyond brutal. We talk about like the way Arizona kind of blew it against Illinois, and it did, but I rewatched that game recently because the Big Ten Network aired at GP, and that was equal parts. Like Arizona made some bad plays, but Illinois had some good shots, hit some big threes, some wild threes, had some good steals. This is an unequivocal choke job, and it is I would imagine it's unbearable for Gonzaga fans to watch it. So for those Zag fans who are listening, I apologize for bringing it up, but it's on right now. And that's just the one game. Like, uh, in real, I'll, I'll just remember where I was when I watched it, and I just couldn't believe it. And I'm pretty sure I picked Gonzaga to make the final four in my bracket this year. So I also had uh, an investment attachment to it. But uh, as we're talking about what could have been in missing sports, I've been there for a little bit. But, you know, when you watch this kind of stuff, it just it stoked those memories all the more. I was there. I was at that game. Yes, we've talked about this on the podcast before because if my memory serves correct, because you don't remember anything, I remember everything. I am pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, and if you can't remember this, it's ridiculous because you've told the story before on the podcast. Memphis played before this, and I don't remember who Memphis played, but you, in fact, were, you know, as these things happen, uh, getting interviews, writing your story. And I want to say you never even got back out to the court to watch this game because at the time you are – it's your final year on the Memphis beat, and so you were filing for the paper. You didn't see that happen in real time, correct? I did not see the collapse. But if My memory of it, which is – sketchy at best right um I, we I, we established on the previous podcast i couldn't even remember where i was for the first and second round in 2008 or the sweet 16 elite eight some reader listeners did some research and i think we figured it out yeah but now i've, I've already forgotten what they figured oh i got out. it i was gonna bring this up eventually i'm, I'm gonna get you uh, listen <laughs> I'm, let's put that to the side continue with the gonzaga thing and then we'll get to that in a second because okay. yes okay. yes i got so it for my memory of it is that this was the first game, Gonzaga-UCLA. I'm not certain of that, but that's the way I remember it. And I remember it being, um, the game was out of hand. and Or it seemed over. And I remember going, okay, well, Gonzaga's got this. I'm going to go to the media room and get you know, ready for, I believe it was Memphis-Bradley, in the other Sweet 16 game. And this wasn't a time where you had Twitter on your phone or anything like that. So you couldn't like scroll these updates and, and there weren't uh, long story, not so long. I remember a roar and I was like, what is happening? And that's when I got in front of a television or no, that's when I actually walked out. I went back to the court 
it was at Oracle in, uh, in Oakland. And I went back out to the court. And so I saw the final seconds. But Gonzaga actually blowing that double-digit lead in the final few minutes. I, I had left my courtside seat because I thought the game was over and I was going to go do something else. And then what alerted me that something wild was happening was I could hear from wherever I was the crowd roaring in a way that was unusual. And it was unusual what happened. So you are, I did not remember that it was Memphis Bradley. You are correct. Uh, that was uh, the year in which Bradley beat Kansas in the first round. And then Kansas developed this thing where it doesn't want to play B schools in the tournament because it had fallen to Bucknell as well the year before. The second game was the famous Brad Pitt game on the on the CBS graphic there, and I had forgotten what city it was in, so it was in it was in Oakland. And we mentioned on the previous podcast how the way that the Memphis Kansas 08 title game had happened, and when we rewatched it, we remembered certain things. I think some people might not remember or realize or they might conflate it. The you got a few things w- with this game that have kind of stuck over the years, you know. Batista with the catch and I can't even attempt to recreate <laughs> Gus Johnson Batista with the catch, which is just one of the all-time calls. Oh my gosh, he was possessed and I loved it. But it's all about Adam Morrison He's crying. That happens before the game is is decided. Gonzaga still has a chance to tie, if not win the game, when when they've given up the lead and Morrison can't contain his emotions on the floor. And then Batista with the catch can't convert, and then Morrison, uh, it's the famous image of him, shirt over his jersey, and then he rolls over on his stomach and collapses on the floor. And... That's that stuff is just as much uh, a part of what makes the tournament so compelling as say it's 14 years to the day since George Mason beat UConn in the Elite Eight uh, in that very uh, in that very same year. In fact, so that so this would have been three days before, both 14 years ago, um, the UCLA Gonzaga game was on March 23rd, 06. The the Mason Yukon game was actually 14 years ago to this day, and that was in uh, that was in Washington D.C. I tweeted out a link. I wrote a long ass story. I'm talking 10,000 words four years ago on it. But if you want to relive it, every single detail you could possibly imagine is uh, is part of that story. But um, but that's pretty cool that you were. You know, we talk about the games that we've been to, and I got some more stuff coming next week on the tournament, so we can save this for then. But uh, just that you were there, you never know what the tournament's going to give you. Like, you were there for Dunk City in 2013 when that was supposed to be a crap subregion. The games didn't look compelling at all, and then it provides the best 15 seed story in their state college basketball. Similarly, in 06, you wound up getting lucky and being in the building for uh, one of the all-time collapses. Yeah, it's funny. Like, uh, you go back to the Dunk City year, The only reason I was in Philadelphia for that was because it was a Friday-Sunday pod and I would miss less radio, and there was a direct flight from Memphis to Philadelphia. So I had no connection. Friday-Sunday was better for radio. I guess I'll go to Philadelphia. And then you end up watching you know, Andy Enfield and uh, Florida Gulf Coast end up in the Sweet 16. That's the thing about especially those the first and second round sites. Like you never know where the stories are going to be. Like right. it, you, you can identify what you think is going to be good, but you never really know where the stories are, are going to be. Back to that Gonzaga-UCLA. Um, oh, by the way, yes. So this was on a Thursday night. And then UConn-George Mason was on the following Sunday. Yes. The reason I didn't see UConn George Mason, I was flying, flying home. Oh, you didn't even see it in real time. Didn't see it. 
No, I was I was on a flight from Oakland to Memphis after Memphis UCLA played on that Saturday. I flew home Sunday, and I was trying to remember earlier because <laughs> full disclosure, no, the reason Norline and I are are starting this podcast a little later on uh, Thursday night than we anticipated is we were supposed to do a CBS Sports HQ hit at 9:20 Eastern on today's the anniversary of a handful of things. Uh, the 1973 title game where Bill Walton scored 44 on what was then Memphis State. It's the uh, anniversary of the 1979 title game uh, with Magic and Larry Bird. And it's the anniversary of the George Mason upset of UConn. And so I was trying to like <laughs> jar my memory about UConn, George Mason. And I remembered I was on a flight. And then I was trying to remember... Because it feels like I I can I sort of remember knowing while I was in the air, like it, 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 that that this upset was happening. You wouldn't have had like, Wi-Fi though. I so, I so this is how much time I've wasted earlier tonight. So okay. then I'm spending ten minutes trying to figure out if there's <laughs> Wi-Fi on airplanes in 2006. I don't think so. So that, I, so that I'm not noticeably lying. You know, every once in a while somebody would be like, you know, I did this, and you're like, it was impossible for you to do that in that year. Yeah. People get caught with that all the time. So I was like. I feel like I knew what was happening while I was in the air, but I need to make sure it was even possible for me to know it was happening while I was in the air. And it does appear that f- airplanes did have Wi-Fi in 2006. So I'm not promising you I knew, but I, the only thing I can promise you is that I didn't watch the game. I, 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 didn't, see, I, did, I didn't see how that happened until later, of course. Um, but, um, but yeah, back to, to uh, Gonzaga-UCLA. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned the, I mean, the the visual everybody, even I remember from that game is Adam on, you know, uh, crying. And he got goofed on for that a little bit. And I, like, that became like a a joke for whatever reason. I thought, like, that is the way I would, that's the way you should react if if that happens to you. Because he knows at that point, and, and we've talked about the Adam Morrison story before, but, like, he goes from mostly anonymous college basketball player, like, just a good player at Gonzaga, to an icon, to like a one of the most famous basketball players in our country at any level, in a span of a few weeks because of what he did in the Maui Invitational. I mean, he's got the long hair and he's got the mustache. Like I remember that year, Gonzaga came to Memphis to play Memphis. Uh, uh, Mark Few and John Calipari had done a home and home, and they were coming in. And this is a time when, you know, the Grizzlies were in Memphis. And Adam Morrison coming to Memphis was like a big deal. It was it was almost like, you know, like like you know, like how people get when LeBron James is coming to Memphis or Steph Curry's coming to Memphis. Like Adam Morrison coming to FedEx Forum was a big big deal. And so he's had he's he's on the verge of going to the Elite Eight, um, maybe the Final Four. Um, he's a, a real contender for National Player of the Year. And then it just it's all over. It just collapses in a matter of minutes. And I, I, I wouldn't understand any emotion other than breaking down and crying right there on the court. I always thought it was weird that people goofed on him for that because that's how I would imagine I would feel if I were him and that happened to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. Um, and I just remember watching that in real time. And when he reacted that way, I was like, I'm with you, dude. I'm with you. Because also it's important to remember the context you just put in, uh, put out for listeners to understand, and that was the Morrison and Reddick year. Like started in Maui, and then they split the Player of the Year awards, and it was it was both those guys. 
and I don't have the bracket up in front of me, but I want to say my memory is going to serve me well here. I'm pretty sure that Adam Morrison and J.J. Redick both saw their NCAA careers, and it was Morrison left early, so he could have done whatever, and Redick was a four-year player. But they both ended in the Sweet 16, and I'm pretty sure that Duke lost to LSU, and that was a Friday game, like a 7 p.m. tip, and they both they both lost in the same round within roughly a 24-hour period of each other. Um, and when Gonzaga went out the way that it did, um, it was it was just mind-boggling and furniture-breaking worthy, but um, Morrison's emotion in that moment was was definitely understandable. I, I love that we're talking about it. We didn't plan to talk about this, but since <laughs> since we had that stuff on HQ, we weren't we didn't wind up talking about it either. Um, real quick on the Mason stuff, I mentioned how the Gonzaga game. I've like maybe never been as frustrated when Mason beat UConn in my living room with my entire family, mother, father, all my brothers. And it's funny because when Duke beat, when Duke lost to UConn in 99 in the title game, GP, I had just recently moved to Connecticut and, um, I wasn't a UConn fan, but I, I, I think I like much of the rest of the country, you know, you kind of never won a title. Duke was at that point, Duke was Duke. And, uh, even going into that game, uh, that 99 Duke team was such a juggernaut that UConn was still not given that much of a chance. And so I remember pulling so hard and being so happy when UConn won. Flip it to seven years later, I was so rooting for UConn. To, uh, for as much as I wanted UConn to win in 99, it was the exact opposite in 06. And like the rest of the country, we want to see Mason do what had never been done before. And that's the crux of a lot of the story that I've mentioned before, is that George Mason was the first team to do this. Yes, UNLV came from a smaller conference, but it was not a mid-major program. Since the tournament expanded in 85, we had never had a school do what Mason accomplished. And that is one of my most cherished and uh, great memories of watching the tournament with my with my family and my brothers. Like we don't, that's just not something we do anymore because we've gotten older and we've moved out of the house and all that, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but that particular Sunday, and I have never been as shocked at a shot not going in as Denim Brown's three point attempt from the wing. Because how many times do we see the higher seeded blue blood level kind of team GP get the bucket when it needs it? You know, late in a tournament game when the the underdog is still in it. But that that basket for the big boy, it usually falls. I, I just am still stunned in retrospect that that Denim Brown shot it went just long, just long off the off the long end of the of the iron there. I think uh, Tony uh, Tony Skin catches gets the ball, game's over, and and Mason celebrates. So that's just uh, one of the all time memories. And uh, here we are, 14 years later. It, it does, in a way, it doesn't feel like 14 years GP since that Mason run, but I guess in other ways it does. But yeah, that was a also a classic. Yeah, I spent the previous 45 minutes reading about the 2006 UConn-George Mason game, the 1973 UCLA-Memphis State title game, <laughs> and the and the 1979 Indiana State-Michigan State title game, because we were supposed to do like a 20-minute segment on it, and then it got, it got canceled for well, Do you want to throw – listen, do you want to throw any facts? You want to throw some how, facts well, and opinions? How about this? Um, so – the basic stuff everybody knows, like a uh, most watched game in co- college basketball game in history. And I it, think it's the most watched basketball that. game in history, GP. I don't think there's ever been an NBA. I could be wrong, but I don't think there's ever been an NBA game that had a higher rating than that either. That may be true. I'm not sure. But I, I do know it's the highest rated college basketball game um, of all time. Um, you know, it's Magic Larry Bird. I, I don't know if the, the casual college basketball fan realizes that it wasn't just Magic and Larry Bird. 
Michigan State had another top four pick on its team in uh, Greg Kelser. Mm-hmm. And he got 19 points in that game. So Magic was awesome. Magic got 24, but Kelser got 19. Larry Bird was only 7 of 21 from the field. And he has subsequently talked about this a million times, of course. But he said going in, even though Indiana State was undefeated and ranked number one in the country, he said going in, he knew he would have to play the best game he's ever played to to win. And then he he said, I and I didn't do that. And it it, you know, it'll bother me forever. You know, a guy who went on to win MVPs and, and NBA titles, he says, you know, I'll never get over that. You know, what happened in that game because I didn't play as well as I needed to play for us to win. So that game's over. Magic Johnson enters the NBA draft. He's the first player selected because Bird was in the previous draft and just went back to college. Right, because the rule didn't so, exi- they, they actually had to change the rule because of that. It was a brilliant move at the time. Go ahead. And then, and then so he had... Larry Bird eventually signs what was at the time the richest rookie contract in history. And Magic Johnson is the number one pick in the 79 draft. And he became the first something to ever be the number one pick in the draft. Do you know what that is? Trivia time? Hmm. I didn't know this until I read it tonight. So my first this can't be true. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna do an easy one that can't be accurate. But my my instinct off of this is you're gonna tell me that he was the first Final Four MOP to be the number one pick. That's incorrect. Okay. Um. I'm. There's no. Hmm. He he was the first to become the number one pick, and now it happens every year. Don't tell it's me. He, do not. Do not tell me that he was the first African American to be the number one pick. No. no okay. No. I don't know. I, I don't know. Like I'm trying to think of like, and now it happens every. Uh, the okay. So he was the first person to leave early and be the number one pick. First underclassman to ever be the number one pick. Wow. That I did I not realize either. Yeah, I didn't realize it until I read it tonight. He was the first underclass, and now you can't imagine and. and Anything other than an underclassman ever being the number huh. one pick again. That's okay. Trivia time. Okay. When's the last non-underclassman to be the number one pick in the NBA draft? So senior. Yes. Uh, I know this. I just can't remember it. And by the way, I'm just watching this Gonzaga UCLA game. That's just. They're up seven with less than two to play now. But uh, they've got a – it's not a ticker, but it's just scores flashing up. Final, Memphis 80, Bradley 64. Yeah. So that game was played first. Yeah. So, yeah. so, here, so here's what happened. I I covered that game, and then I had to go right from the media room. I heard, heard the roar and then went out there to see the final few seconds, but I didn't actually see the game because I was in the media room writing about a 16-point win by Darius Washington's Tigers, Rodney Carney's Tigers. What did I, what did I tell you before? My memory. It, I wasn't it, it even there, sense. and I had it right. It, it makes sense looking back, thinking back now. Like, why would you have Gonzaga UCLA play an early game on, you know, um, when you – why would you have Memphis Bradley play late and Gonzaga UCLA play early from a time zone perspective, television perspective? That's, a, that's also a valid point there. All right, who do you think it is? Last four-year player to be the number one overall pick in the draft. The, the name that popped into my head is Emeka Okafor. Emeka Okafor was not a number one pick. Well, no. Then why did I think of him? I, I don't know. I, I, 
I, I, I'm going to go ahead and tell me. I, and and, and I'll, I'll immediately say to you, oh, I knew that, but I can't think of it right now. Let me, let, let me look. Hold on. No, I don't want you to look. You're going to get, I, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you. It is. It is. His, let, his college me, career. Is it Andrew Bogut? No. Bogut was like a two or three year player. The answer is. Kenyon the, Martin. Correct. Kenyon Martin was the last number one overall pick to play four years in college. A lot of people, when I first asked that, they were probably in their headphones, in their cars, kitchens, wherever. Not in public spaces around other people, I hope. Stay home. They probably were saying, Tim Duncan, Tim Duncan, Tim Duncan. No, Tim Duncan is the second most recent. But it was Kenyon Martin. This game is 71-66. Good God, Gonzaga, what are we doing here? Uh, Real quick, before we get on to other stuff. So I want to give a shout to Twitter user Hutch and Go who punched in something on the internets and uh, and sure enough he found the stories filed by at CBS and published at cbsports.com in 2008 he's provided a screen grab this is this was a wonderful walk down memory lane before my time at being hired at 2010 at CBS we got uh, we got a gentleman named Billy Witz writing about Stanford, all about the Lopez's boys, twins more than just hoops. We got Pete Prisco filing on (laughs) Villanova basketball and Tampa's Freaky Friday, first of its kind, but not the last. The great Mike Freeman, certainly. Cult of Calipari's personality. It's easy to fall under the spell. Freeman on the road. Shouts to Greg Doyle writing apparently about UNC and Georgetown. There's a fellow named Larry Dobro. Remember Larry Dobro? Dobro? Do you remember this gentleman, GP? Of course I do. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about old Lair? I, re- I remember him being a person. Okay, sounds good. And uh, Clark Kellogg even got a byline in here because uh, he had a Sweet 16 breakdown. He might have been – that might have just been a video there. But there is Gary Parrish. Okay, where was I? You uh, were st- – the headline is Strangers in Charlotte, Surprising Cougars no longer going south. So you went to Charlotte. Did we determine that was a second weekend site? Because I no longer have this in front of me. I feel like that was a second it weekend. It was, site. it was. Yeah, this fella uh, actually specifically clarified because he saw your 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 headlines and your bylines. So you started at in Birmingham. Right. Mystery solved, by the way. Shouts to our listeners. Shouts to Hutch and Go. And a shouts to Pete Boyle. I got to get that in because I know Pete's a big fan of the podcast. Pete, thank you so much. You were at Birmingham. You made the driving distance to the first weekend, and then you went to Charlotte. You have no memory of this, but the internet always remembers. And so, he, he, so how about this? You just told me. And by the way, the reason we're talking about this is we were talking about that 2008 tournament on the previous podcast, and I knew I was somewhere, but I, honest to God, have no memory of me being in Birmingham or Charlotte. This is how much I don't remember it. I was in Charlotte. I wrote a column. You just showed me, and the headline is something to do with Cougars. I don't even know which Cougars they are. Is it BYU Cougars? This is oh, <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> it's about to, we're about to find out right now. Hold on, uh, 2008 NCAA tournament. It's not uh, Washington State made it in 08 as well, but they didn't. They weren't a second weekend team. That was 07 when they were good. So we're about to find out right now. 2008 NCAA tournament. I'm guessing it's BYU. What other Cougars could it be? So um, Houston Cougars. Yeah, but they weren't good. Um, so we've got uh, Charlotte. Here we go. Washington State. No, they did make the Sweet 16. You're right about Tony Bennett. They, oh, they got romped. 68-47 by UNC, so they were the four seed. So I guess 
Yeah, that makes sense. 07 into 08. Okay, I got you. So yeah, that was uh that was right before Tony Bennett took uh took Virginia. He had one more year with Clay Thompson and then he was out of there over to Charlottesville. So That's something I need to get checked out that I I'd have no I I wouldn't I don't remember anything about that. The, that's a that's a day in my adult life I remember nothing about. Well, the regional itself not forgettable because at seventy one sixty six with a minute. Dude, they're they're up go. five with the ball and sixty eight uh, seconds left, and they're about to blow this. Look at look at Darren because Collison. Adam, at Adam the line, Morrison man. just missed a little runner that went in and out. It would have put him up seven with one oh one left. I love Collison's game in college, man. Um, this is the year before Westbrook and Love get there too. Uh, you had UNC over Washington State in the Sweet Sixteen. That was a twenty one point spread. Then Louisville beat Tennessee by nineteen, and then your Sweet Sixteen memorable teams: North Carolina, Louisville, but a ten point difference. UNC moving along to the 08 Final Four, uh, where it was one of the four one seeds, and then it would it would it would go on to lose in the national semifinals. But that's why you also didn't get a great game, so that's also uh, not not helping you all that much. So yeah, mm. you actually followed Louisville the whole way there. They were in Birmingham, <laughs> beat Boise State. They beat Oklahoma by 30. You watched those games, presumably. I would guess you wrote off them as well, but yeah. I don't. Okay. No idea. No recollection whatsoever. Um, so anyway, I don't know how many minutes we just spent on this. Um, just, just 28 minutes and 34 seconds, I can tell you. Um, but my initial point, my initial point was that I missed sports for the first time today, thinking about what today would have been. So in the Midwest Regional tonight – on Thursday night, we would have had, if the seeds held, according to Jerry Palm's final bracket, we'd have had Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Creighton, and then we would have had Gonzaga, Gonzaga, Oregon, and San Diego State, Seton Hall. That uh, that would have been fun. San Diego State, Seton Hall would have been really enjoyable. That would have been enjoyable. Um, by the way, Miles Powell, great season. Uh, a few too many first team All America votes for my for my liking. He was a good, not elite player, and uh, it, it, I guess it goes to show you that preseason hype can actually pay off because he was good, but he wasn't a top five player. All time, all time Seton Hall player, and uh, good on him for earning those accolades. But he would have needed like a Sweet Sixteen Elite Eight run, I think, to help validate that standing, which he was unfortunately taken. It was taken just away. to to um, make you miss it. Uh, th- Tomorrow, on Friday, we would have had, if the seeds held, according to Jerry's final bracket, we would have had Dayton, Louisville, and then Villanova, Michigan State, mm-hmm. and Baylor, Butler, with Florida State, Maryland. So, in theory, on Saturday, we could have had Kansas-Duke, a rematch of the Champions Classic uh, season opener, and on Saturday, we could have also had Baylor, Maryland with uh, Scott Drew or Mark Turgeon uh, getting to the Final Four. And then on Sunday, we could have had Dayton, Michigan State, or Dayton, Villanova. And, I mean, it could have been Louisville as well, but, like, you could have had Obi Toppin against either Villanova or Tom Izzo, and you could have had Baylor against either um, Florida State or, or Maryland. Man. Stinger. Now we would have obviously that wouldn't have been the exact bracket, but regardless, and we would have had upsets. But still, what can you, I'm glad you finally arrived with the rest of the country, by the way, because you know this, this lack of sports thing is really, uh, it's really, it's really getting to us. But it gives us opportunities to write and report about what uh, what isn't happening or what could be happening, and with some concern, uh, particularly in college basketball. And this is me handing you the proverbial topic football, if you will, if you want to set up the next segment. 
Yeah, so you've uh, reported a story um, with you talking to various coaches and athletic directors and other people within the sport, college, uh, collegiate sports world about these uncertain times. You talked to them about academic concerns, about whether winter sport athletes are going to get another year of eligibility, so on and so forth. While I think the way you wrote it, you talked to maybe 20 different people, um, head coaches, athletic directors, whomever. Um, what's the most interesting thing you learned after these conversations? Well, Morrison just missed a, a two that would have put him up five with 22 yeah, seconds to go. Yeah, um, I'm about about 30 seconds ahead of you. It looks like. Yeah, I'm on. I'm uh, I'm streaming. So yeah, you if you're watching on on real time cable, you're ahead of me here. Oh, uh, uh, it's just mm, front iron. All right, so. This originated just in talking casually with some coaches, and then um, a lot of things were interesting. So two stories I wound up writing. Um, One in particular only deals with the most common discussion point. I'll start with that real quick, is what is going to happen with recruiting and the summer calendar? Because right now there's a moratorium on in-person recruiting as there should be. And while it is not yet officially off, the April live period is not going to happen. That is going to become official in a matter of, I would assume, days here. Um, Coaches are already (laughs) trying to do this and watching this freaking game. I cannot believe this. Uh, Coaches are, are, are pessimistic at this point. That the typical July period, not in addition to remember the new recruiting calendar that started last season, end of June high school period, end of July NCAA sanctioned camps, all of that stuff. You know oh, they just stole the ball. Ugh. Oh my God, is it going to take the lead? Um, so they are they are they they just don't think it's, we're going to get to a point as a country where air travel is going to be uh, that widespread. You're going to be able to have organized events that allow for l- the live recruiting period. And so coaches are bracing for that. Um, you know, these 2021 kids, the kids that will be seniors next season, while they have some of them have been recruited in years past, the really good ones, the other ones, you know, the three stars, the borderline kids that really don't get seen as much until this year, they might not have that chance. And so there is already talk of like, well, if we can't get July, what if our country was in a place where we could do this the last week of August? Would the NCAA have the ability to be flexible and do a one-time only four-day live period, maybe in one spot or two spots? Maybe it would have crowds. Maybe it wouldn't. Um, so there are there's other stuff that I'll get to in just a second, GP, but I wanted just to throw this back at you in that – in terms of the recruiting stuff, which I do think will become a pretty big story as we move along here, uh, coaches being pessimistic that we're even going to have a July period, which means you and I aren't going to be going out, and recruiting is going to be sight unseen. It's going to be texts and calls and trying to get commitments that way, or maybe high school, like literally like 1982, you're going to high schools in October and trying to secure commitments person to person with that. What's your um, What's your feeling on that, would you agree with coaches, many of whom I asked them to give me a percentage, and many of them said zero to 10% at this point? Well, I guess I'd start by saying, you know, I've, I've been watching the medical experts speak every day, muting it when certain people talk and then unmuting it when other people talk. And um, Dr. Fauci has been um, asked time and time again to try to put dates on this stuff. And every time, and he's the leading expert on it. And every time he's like, I don't, you know, you can't, it's, you can't say, 
You know, I just don't know. Like, you know, we, we, if we continue to do what we're supposed to do, um, it'll be, it'll, it'll be earlier than, um, than it otherwise would be. But anybody trying to predict, like put dates on it right now is just, they're, they're guessing. Um, we don't have enough data. We don't know enough about where this is spreading and how it's spreading. We know it's getting bad, but we don't know when it's going to be okay enough to, you know, to actually travel normally again, gather normally again. And so um, with all due respect to the coaches, they, they just don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 I w- but I would say this, um, I, I, I don't see how you could be optimistic because what we do know is that this is going to get worse before it gets better. And what we also know is that trying to go back to our normal ways of life, if we do it too early, um, the, the repercussions could be devastating. And so um, I, I'm not expecting to be at Peach Jam. And by the way, Peach Jam is the most crowded place on the planet. Like they, they, North Augusta, South Carolina uh. will become the new epicenter of coronavirus. Like, like yes. You, you, it really like I'm not even. You know, I mean, you're 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 right about that. In fact, I had a coach paint uh, a surreal picture for me. He's like, "Can you imagine if they wound up doing Peach Jam? Not even in July, but maybe they wind up again. They wind up saying, oh, yeah, the last weekend of August, we're in a spot where we can do it, but we're still in a weird place where the the parents aren't allowed to go, and the coaches are all like, think about how many chairs are in those gyms, but they all have to be six feet apart, and they're like trying to have conversations. It is it is a crazy visual um, you, would, you wouldn't have it under those circumstances. you couldn't you couldn't but this one coach that was laying it out for me i was like this is this is just ridiculous like you could fit like 14 coaches at a game and when when normally there's 55 you know it's not well not good. like if, if we're still at a place where we have to be six feet from each other then you can't play basketball <laughs> I mean, right. you know you can't like forget who can be in the gym you can't you can't play basketball it's why um you know, the athletic directors are starting to openly talk about the possibility, if not likelihood, that we don't have a football season. Because if we can't have gatherings of more than 10 people or more than 50 people, you forget like, well, we'll take the fans out of the stands. You can't have a football team on a football field with another football team. Like, I mean, that that's a real thing. Right. Uh, you're, and, continue. I'll, I'll, I'll take yeah, up yeah. So it's like um, – you know, it feels like two centuries ago. It's really just a little more than two weeks ago when our country changed drastically, and it really was triggered, or at least the first, the first indication most Americans got that oh wow, this is wild, was two Wednesday nights ago when the NBA canceled its, I mean, postponed its season. And even at that time, we were talking about well, can we still play the NCAA tournament even if it's without fans? Um, can we, um, you know, uh, is major league baseball going to start a month late? Nobody said a word about football. It was like, of course, well, of course we'll be fine by football season. And now it's, it's unclear if we're going to be fine by football season. So, um, if, if people are already, I guess I'd put it this way. If, if they postpone the Olympics and people are already talking about football season being in danger, I can't imagine we're on the road in July, um, recruiting you don't postpone the olympics this far in advance of the olympics unless you unless the medical experts are telling you they're relatively sure you cannot hold that and if you can't hold the olympics you can't hold peach champ right i would expect a decision on that in about 
three to five weeks, but we'll see. Now, that is one story. That's a separate story that I've been working on because that, that into itself is its own thing. Now, there is a bigger story that gets into what you just touched on. I'll, be, I'll just tick off the items here. The first thing is I talked to uh, a couple of uh, athletic directors, uh, Power Five, and there, what I found a little surprising, but frankly uh, appropriate and reassuring was I was told that the athletic directors who have to worry about that stuff, their bosses, the university presidents, are not even discussing college athletics at this point because of our national crisis. And you need universities to function, to be able to have enrollment numbers that can meet where they were last year, to have campuses, employment, faculty. They, they are so, the, although college athletics obviously provides so much in so many ways beyond money, but money, 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 right? That, those discussions, at least what I was told, and my most we're t- recording on Thursday, my most recent discussion with an AD was on Tuesday. At the presidential level and the chancellor level, at least from the ones I talked to, that's not e- they have not even gotten there yet. It, to quote one of the ADs, uh, he said uh, two things. One, he said, some may be looking at the light at the end of the tunnel, but most practitioners are not referring to the medical and health experts there. And then uh, another said, I think most people haven't thought about rebuilding the house that's on fire because most people are more consumed with putting the fire out. So that is the first and foremost thing. Yes, this will be addressed soon, but the people that would be most responsible for helping decide and being in those conversations, the most powerful people, they're not even there yet. Now, athletic directors are are already having some concerns, and some have gone on the record, and our own Dennis Dodd has a story about, hey, is it possible football season could really be affected? In my story, I talked to Mike Bray. Coaches at Notre Dame kind of likes their football. Mike Bray was one of the few coaches, and he was willing. Some coaches just preferred to have these conversations on background. Some you know, some were on the record, and Bray was on the record because he's one of the best. And Bray was the one who, to me, said, I'm already of the mindset that we're not having summer, and I might not see my players in person until Labor Day weekend. We need to, as in college athletics and as an American society, get our you-know-what together over the next four months so that football can be in place where it's possible by August 1st, and then all the other ones, like by September 1st, we go from there. It's a hopeful vision, but Bray is already saying, like, hey, we might not have games in, uh, in November. We might not have games in, in December. We could have a shortened season. He talked about that Notre Dame is not going to have the money. Notre Dame, one of the most powerful football institutions and really a, a university of high influence in our country, GP, um, it's not going to be having a lot of buy games this season, meaning when these big schools play, you know, uh, also rans and afterthoughts, six, seven of them, he said Notre Dame might have two or three. Might, because the money's not going to be there. He's going to try and get home and homes with better schools, which, hey, by the way, that's a good thing for college basketball, but we got to have a seasonal overall. So um, two two or three more things I'll get to in a second. But I wanted to get your response to, to what Bray is saying there, because it was – a nice reality check from a coach. By the way, he's the president of the NABC outgoing one, but he's been involved in a lot of conversations, obviously, since the season ended. Yeah, that, that's interesting about the bye games. And I really do think that, I mean, you just saw it today. The NCAA sending out a fraction of, of tournament money relative to what they would normally send out. Um, in Dennis Dodd's story, he details how 
you know, 80% of FBS budgets come from football revenue. Like football pays the bills at a lot of these places. And if football is in jeopardy, then jobs are in jeopardy. Sports, uh, non-revenue sports are in jeopardy. And I had not, until I read it, I had, um, or until, I, until you reported it, I had not considered that it would actually affect, impact the number of buy games um, college basketball programs w- will will have, but it, it makes sense. You got you're gonna have to cut back wherever you can cut back, and that's one way to obviously do it. And like you pointed out, it, it, it that's good for college basketball. Like if, if Notre Dame needs to go out and do home more home and homes to fill up a schedule, um, as opposed to buy games, well then that that creates better mm-hmm. basketball games. And so great, but it's also a killer for you know the Jackson States of the world. You're right. Like they they pay for. They pay for them, themselves by going out and being being other people's buy games. And if suddenly those opportunities aren't there, um, you know, you wonder you know, how they'll survive financially. So the, you know, again, this this impacts this is one. This is a thing that's impacting everybody in America. And even in the world of collegiate sports, it's impacting everybody at every level in different ways. It is now. um there's also, and again, do read the story at cbsports.com, uh, published uh, published this Friday morning uh, early, uh, so give it a read. But um, I had one coach tell me, it's in my contract that I have to get by, he's at a, he's at a mid-major, I have to get by games that total $275,000 for our university. It is a mandate in his contract. Now, you could have circumstances here that, that make it easier on him, if you will. But yes, we actually could have more of a scheduling divide. We uh, the multi-team exempt tournament events referred to often shorthand as MTEs. Uh, there are some of those that normally by uh, late March, about early April, the contracts are signed. Those are done. Those are now on hold. There's a lot of questions already about like legitimately like you might have power if let's just say the season starts as normal. Like you could still have power conference schools fulfill their 30 or 31 games and you could have lesser schools that simply can't pull it off not have as many so there could be we got to see where we get and how we get there but just keep that in mind the financials here uh, yes they can be devastating in that the fact that there's significantly less coming uh because no NCAA tournament is 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 a problem for smaller schools and again like the non-revenue sports they need that money um, and I have a story up on that as well. A couple more things uh, before we move on. The story also details a few more questions and curiosities. One, uh, this will be a story that evolves. NBA draft and what's going to happen with that. You've got players that are gonna, that are declaring, testing the waters. It means more than different than it ever has been before. Uh, you can't go uh, and do anything. Like you're testing the waters from the comfort of your own house, okay? So that will be something to keep an eye on because we don't know if the draft's going to move. That's going to be dependent on what the NBA does. to College basketball, it's players, it's former players, whatever you want to call them. They're totally at the whims of the NBA, but it's a fascinating situation that I'm intrigued to see play out over the next couple of weeks there. There are a couple of bits of news in the story to know about. One, there is, while we have talked on the podcast about winter sport seniors having a potential opportunity to get an extra year of eligibility. That is not expected to pass. That vote will happen on Monday. And not only is it not expected to pass, most coaches I spoke with do not want it to pass. There have been some coaches publicly who have been in favor of it, but I would not expect it to pass. There's details in the story. And also, the transfer rule, and all this stuff is connected with like the recruiting and stuff. So the transfer rule, and you might have heard how it could change, 
where if, you leave, if you're a first-time transfer, you can leave and be immediately eligible the next year. Here are the facts. That will come up for a vote at the earliest at the end of April when the Division I Council, which would be the voting body in that specific regard, could vote yes or no. The NABC and the Men's Basketball Oversight Committee, which is led up by Conzo Martin and Matt Painter, uh, feverishly against it. But you have powerful bodies and leaders at the Big Ten, at the ACC, and in other spots, and an NCAA that's very aware, no matter how much you want to criticize it, at the arrows it continues to take, giving student-athlete empowerment. The, the suspicion is that the transfer thing is going to pass in April, and all these kids that are transferring now, they're eligible next season. It's not this is going to pass, this season doesn't count, and it kicks in like m- spring 2021 GP. No, they are eligible next season. And so what coaches are doing right now amid all of this stuff is they're stuck in their houses. They are anticipating a second swell where you're going to have a glut of more kids that are going to be leaving to look for other opportunities because they know that they can play the next year. So also just keep an eye on that. That could become uh, a story of note into mid to late April. And again, that wouldn't pass until late April at the earliest. Yeah, I, I know coaches are split on this. Publicly, they either say the right thing or they don't, or they they barely speak on it. But privately, for let's just call it what it is, selfish reasons, they would rather players not be able allowed to transfer um, without the penalty uh, of sitting out. And this is just one because listen, there are coaches I respect who who don't want that to pass. And it's just one where we'll, we'll just disagree forever on it. You know, I've, I've told them this, you know, like I just, I, I, I just, I just think you're being wrong. Like you note in your story, cause coaches are anticipating an unusually large, um, transfer market that they are nudging out, uh, yes. you know, players that aren't useful to them anymore. And so if you're, if you're, I just don't know how you can balance those two things. Like we want to push people out of our program if they're not good enough, either because they didn't develop or because we misevaluated them. Or they're knuckleheads. But, that that also is a you know uh, uh, sure. And no sure. coach will ever admit to that on the record. But some you know that that you some are comfortable enough saying it on background. So I had a couple share that that very attitude with me. Go ahead. Right. Uh, and by the way, I'm not saying you sh- you you shouldn't be able to nudge players out of your program if you don't want them there anymore. Like that's I, I'm not against that. But I don't understand how you could be for that. Like, th- I want to push players out of a Division One program when I don't deem them necessary to my success anymore. Um, but I don't want players to be able to transfer without penalty. Like, those two things don't line up together uh, from my perspective. Yeah, it, you're not incorrect with that. And um, I think with some of the coaches, it has also become uh, – a necessary evil, if you will, with all of this, and and a lot of the some of the, sometimes a lot of this dirty work will also be done uh, by the assistants there as well. Um, but yes, no, that is it, the fact that all this is is converging uh, amid the coronavirus pandemic and a national crisis is also fascinating. So just check out the story if you can. I've also got details on there and how the coronavirus has actually affected. Um, coaches directly like the families one has a wife who is an ICU doctor and has been dealing with this on the front lines uh, for over a month so I don't you know those identities are protected but um, but I think a lot of the stuff and why the carousel has been slowed is that this uh, issue 
uh, scarily has, has hit people's homes directly. And so that's why, um, you know, college sports remains at a standstill and, and will be, relatively speaking, for a while here until the country can figure out when it can get back to, uh, close to quote-unquote normal. Uh, but that hasn't stopped a lot of the c- concerns and questions from continuing to grow. And that'll, uh, that'll obviously precipitate as we move into April. One last thing on this uh, before we move into the mailbag. I thought Tad Boyle, Colorado, made a nice point about, um, you know, his student athletes, you know, theoretically being at academic risk now, um, more so than they otherwise would be because, you know, they're not they're not in classes. Everything is being taught online now and they're not having the face to face time with their academic advisors, with all of the resources that Division one athletes have. Um, those resources are not right in your face anymore. And he was worried about, he said, you always worry about second semester, but you're especially worried under these circumstances because um, the way a lot of these student athletes are being asked to learn and achieve now is not the way that they've ever learned or achieved. And I can just tell you, so when I, when I read that, it, it stood out to me because um, our oldest son is a junior in high school. And he goes to one of the best schools in the state of Tennessee. And they are now doing virtual school. You know, from nine to noon every day, he has to be on in front of a computer. He's talking to, um, you know, his, his instructors. You know, it, it's, but, but after that, it's really just assignments. And you, you have to do them. You know, it's not somebody – you're not in a classroom with other students. You're not in a classroom with a teacher looking at you. It's, it's, it's on you to now get it done. And they have a system set up where anytime an assignment is late, I get an email. My, my, I get one and my wife gets one. And it says, um, notification alert, this has not been turned in. It was due on this day. And – I think through the year, up until two weeks ago, I'd gotten two all year long. And I got two yesterday morning. Mm. And I mean, it got pretty contentious because I like, I busted into his room and I'm like, yo man, because I got two yesterday morning. I probably gotten five in the past two weeks, six maybe. And I was like, yo, what are you doing? Like I... I, I'm getting an email from one of your teachers every – it feels like every day, and I just got two in the past hour. And he was like, I, like I'm, I'm on it. I'm taking care of it because like my kid is – he's not perfect, um, just like nobody's 17-year-old is perfect. But he is ambitious, and he is focused on school. He's not the type to just slack off. And so I was like, yo, man, what are you doing? Like th- th- we're not in summer vacation. Like, you, you, you still got to be on top of this stuff the way you need to be on top of it. And he was like, I, you know, I know I'm handling it. I'm, I just got overwhelmed and I fell behind. And I was like, I'm going to trust you. But like, I swear to God, if I get another one of these emails, like I'm take your phone away for a week or so. I don't know what you can do to punish a 17 year old that can't go anywhere anyway. It's not like I need to take his car away. He's not going anywhere. So I said, uh, you know, I made some threats that I probably wouldn't follow through on. But um, my friend Jeff Calkins, who's the columnist at the Daily Memphian, his son goes to the same school. And, and I was just like, so how are I talking to him? I was like, so how are things going? And he said, dude, I got two notifications this morning about assignments and his son's going to Duke next year. Smart kid. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry that you're going through it, but it made me feel better because I know that I'm not the only parent with a son who is 
who is struggling relative to the way they used to do um, because the structure and the in-person stuff is no longer there. And I don't think that's just unique to my son or Jeff Calkins' son. I think that's happening to to parents and, and teenagers um, all over the country because and, – and, and to Ted Boyle's point, college students as well because um, they are now learning and and – they are now completing high school and college in ways that they, you know, have never been asked to do before. And it's, it's, I'm just telling you, I'm watching it first person. It's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. There's definitely, um, good personal anecdote there, GP. Um, cause you got, you got a smart kid and hopefully, uh, yeah, you just can get through the end of the would-be semester, I guess. Um, but coaches do have – I mean, I had um, many, many coaches uh, express this concern because so many programs have multiple uh, what they would call at-risk kids, and when you remove them from the regimented environment, um, it, you know, it can be a problem. Although I did have uh, two coaches mention that what you might actually get here is a situation where – Students are given a much longer leash, if not passed altogether, uh, because of this. And you might have professors and departments that will provide a lot of slack um, to avoid uh, many potential other issues. Like I, if, if someone outright stops doing the work, I think they're going to fail. But if you are trying to do what you can do and still falling behind, um, there's also that belief that that could happen there. So academic issues... Uh, Boyle was one of them who specifically told me uh, that, you know, that was at the top of his list. And there were a couple more who said the same. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just another one of a challenge, uh, these challenges because you also don't have players around their teammates or their classmates. You know, it's, you're at home. You know, some are still on campus because they can't get back to where they need to get back to or out of an abundance of caution. They are like there are players that are from the New York area that are not back home because why would you send them back there so they're living on campus still and then going through all of that. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that that, uh, that this national crisis has, uh, you know, has entangled itself with when it comes to college athletics. All right. You ready to get to the mailbag? Fire them away, buddy. Okay. I pulled uh, all three questions from reviews, five-star reviews in uh, uh, at Apple Podcasts. I appreciate you guys continuing to go there, subscribe, leave nice comments, and um, ask questions if you want. Uh, for the mailbag, I do try to pull questions from there if I can find them there first. And so I found all three at Apple Podcasts um, for this week. So here we go. Question number one comes from Tallboy Thursday. And he wants to know how how do we think this pandemic is going to impact or is already impacting the college basketball coaching carousel? And I think we've touched on this before, but um, – you know, whenever the last time we touched on it, a lot of stuff has happened since or a lot of nothing has happened since. Um, either way, the point's the same. I don't think there's any doubt that the pandemic is impacting the coaching carousel. And I think in a way that's good for college coaches. Some coaches have still been fired and there has been, um, uh, you know, um, and new hires made to replace them. But some of these coaches with big buyouts, I think Danny Manning's is like, in excess of $10 million. Shaka Smarts is around $10 million. Although I was told he's, there's a offset clause in his contract where like, if he got another job, Texas wouldn't be on the hook for every penny, just mm -hmm. whatever he wasn't making at that other job. But either way, millions of dollars. And I think this really 
um, ties back to what you were talking about earlier. Um, if, if Mike Bray is is preparing to not have as many buy games because of um, a lack of money, because of what this pandemic is doing to our entire nation, obviously, but um, a part of that athletic departments, then if you're an athletic director, how could you how could you bring yourself or if you're a university president, how could you let your athletic director um, get to a point where he says, yeah, but we're going to pay $10 million to make this basketball coach go away right now. Like, well, we don't know what our budget's going to look like in a year, um, but we know it's not going to be anything close to what it was supposed to be. Uh, I, I think, I, listen, I think Shaka should have come back no matter what. And I think Danny was probably going to come back no matter what. But once this thing hit, it just makes it where I don't know how you could be a university official just from a public relations perspective and publicly justify paying millions and millions of dollars to make a coaching change right now under these circumstances. That's right. And we have not had a coaching change in any of the seven biggest conferences. So the football power five plus Big East plus American Athletic Conference and which, which, by the way, I bet has never been the case. That's the like, thing, GP. Yes. Okay, so the season's been over for two weeks, and not a single coach in a Power 7 conference has been fired. I bet that is – I bet what I just said has never been true. Like maybe – well, yeah, like maybe in the early to mid-70s, maybe when you had these different – like the structure wasn't the same, but if you took what would have been theoretically the five biggest leagues or the seven biggest – not the – I don't even think it could be possible the seven, but let's just say five – Maybe there was a year because it was just a different time, but it might it, it might be the 60s, if not the 50s, that there wasn't a coaching change due to retirement, firing, whatever. Uh, we've had 18 total changes, all in small leagues. Maybe we get to 20, and that's still 30, 35, 40 fewer than a given year. So these coaches get another, they get another go of it. And uh, when you come, I was talking to. Uh, uh, two more coaches today, just casually after I'd filed the story, we got onto this topic. <laughs> if we if we have a season as scheduled next season, okay, it is going to be fascinating how the recruiting changes to come this season or this summer, what we do and don't have, the transfer rule, if indeed uh, it changes as expected, and then if there if the money is or isn't there next year to have a ridiculous carousel and maybe it's not there another coach shared with me that like some some of these coaches at bigger schools like either it's them calling the booster or the booster calling them and they're just having these kind of quick conversations how you doing checking in like a lot, some of those people have lost money because they have so much of their worth invested into the markets and the markets have been you know obviously up and down and chaotic like there's a ton of stuff that goes into this and so yes i think a lot of the things that you brought up are why uh, it has been a slower carousel than not just usual, but uh, really maybe ever when you take into account how many schools there are and how many changes. From a ratio standpoint, this could be the slowest ever. Yeah, and if you haven't fired – it's been two weeks since the end of the season. If you haven't fired your coach yet, why would you do it tomorrow? The only one that hasn't happened yet that maybe still could happen, and this is just – this is me. Uh, I don't have this you know, sourced on background that it will happen, but you know, it's been scuttle is Jeff Neubauer at Fordham in the heart of New York City. Does he keep his job, or given everything that's happening there, is it kind of just wait and see a couple more weeks, and will there be a change or won't there be a change there? That's the only other one that maybe could happen, maybe. But, yeah, you're right, Jeep. For the most part, it's been this long. Uh, if you haven't done it now, you know, at this point, why would you why would you choose to make that change unless the coach actively wants out or is seeking something elsewhere? 
question number two uh, comes from Go Duke, and Go Duke asks the following: Is this HBO documentary that's airing next week going to cost Sean Miller or Will Wade their jobs? And I'll let you handle this because you've seen the documentary. I haven't seen it yet. I've read everything that's been written about it, including what you wrote about it. Mm-hmm. But um, I'll let you address that first. Uh, is Sean Miller, Will Wade, are they going to be damaged to the point of losing their jobs based on what airs on HBO next week? Given that, okay, I think that after this airs, uh, be it Sunday night or Monday, we should have a podcast and talk about it because I, I do want to get your thoughts on what you watch. And then after when the public has seen it air Sunday night, um, everyone will have seen it and we, let's just have a discussion about it. So this question will be addressed in long form on, on a, a, soon, a podcast soon to come. But in short, the answer for me with Sean Miller is no. The answer with me with Will Wade is, and we just mentioned like slow coaching carousel. When you watch this documentary and it gets to the Will Wade part, I don't see how you could watch what he says, hear what he says it, and have him still keep his job. That's what I'll say for now. I want you to see it. I want everyone else to see it. Then everyone can know exactly the context of everything. We'll talk about it more on a podcast, but that that's my answer in regard to those two specific coaches. And those are the only coaches that are on wiretaps in the movie, and not just on wiretaps in the documentary, I should say. They were also leaked, quote-unquote, if you will, under federal seal. They were never played at either of the trials. Um, you know, I one of the – when this all – was being written about last week or the week before I talked about it briefly on radio. And one of the points I made is that sometimes, and you having heard this, um, you'd know better than I, but sometimes hearing something is different than reading it. Seeing something is different than reading it. I, I would obviously totally different situations, but I think you'll get the point. We all heard Ray Rice beat his fiance punched her. We heard that. We read that. It was in the police report. Ray Rice kept his job. But then we saw Ray Rice hit his fiance, girlfriend, whatever she was at the time. And it was like, well, you can't, that guy cannot survive it. And, and he never played the NFL again. And I wonder, again, I am not comparing domestic violence to buying a basketball player, but I wonder if hearing Will or Sean actually say what has been reported that they uh, are that they said. I wonder if if hearing it will change, um, will will change their realities once once the general public is able to to hear what they said as opposed to read what they said. Uh, I think that is coming. Yes, but again, I would just it, it, the documentary is very Christian Dawkins heavy. It's it's Christian Dawkins and Dan Wetzel heavy. Wetzel is interviewed often on screen. He he helps provide a lot of the framing in terms of. Uh, having covered the trials as well and uh, his history in covering uh, grassroots hoops for more than two decades. But, yes, it airs Sunday, and uh, we will definitely have something to talk about once uh, once GP has watched it and we can react. All right, and I don't want to misquote you, so um, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. But I believe I remember reading when you wrote about this that you said there's nothing incriminating as it re- connected to Sean Miller. Yes, you- I would I would characterize it as that. It – Yes. Okay, let me ask you about this, because this is part of the transcript I read. Um, Christian Dawkins and Sean Miller are on the phone. Um, and Sean's, like, trying to figure out who he's got to deal with with Nasser Little. Yeah. Uh, and and 
he asks about these people, and Christian Dawkins tells him, more or less, uh, you know, Nasir Little's people definitely want something for themselves. I believe that's actually the quote. They they definitely want some S for themselves, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they've already established it's, it. It looks like it's down to Miami and Arizona for Nasir Little. And Christian Dawkins is like, listen, these these two guys, they definitely want some S for themselves. And Sean responds by saying, quote, Miami doesn't have an advantage over us in that area, do they? End quote. And and I'm listening. I'm willing to listen to you, um, you know, disagree here. But how how can that be interpreted as anything other than Christian Dawkins saying you're going to have to do something for these people to get Nasir Little and Sean Miller then asking Christian Dawkins, okay, like uh, like Miami ain't going to outdo us in that way, are they? And then Christian responds, well, they do have Adidas, you know. But like, how can yeah. to me that is I don't I don't know how to read that as anything other than Sean Miller saying, okay, I hear you, we're going to have to do something. Uh, like Miami ain't going to outdo us, are they? That's the way I hear that. Yeah. I'll be quick with this because we're going to wind up talking about it again. But um, first of all, Dawkins is, is – as I have – when this in, – in regard to this specific conversation, I think Dawkins is full of it. That's first and foremost. Two, um, Miami was – because he is projecting that Miami's involved in Adidas, like Miami was ne- was proven to have never been involved in any of this. wasn't pa- trying to pay to get Nasir Little. So again, like Dawkins was, uh, he was conning in this specific situation there. And Miller is asking, as is the case with coaches that do this all the time, and cer- certainly it could have been nefarious. There's no doubt about that. But he's basically saying, okay, when it comes to recruiting Nasir Little, like who is the actual person that I need to talk to? that is in charge of his recruitment. And it is not a smoking gun because what can often happen with players is it could be the AAU coach, it could be the dad, it could be an uncle, it could be the mom, and so on and so on and so forth. Dawkins is saying they that there are... Uh, Miller is saying there are two guys. Who's the one that I need to talk to? And then and Dawkins is saying these guys uh, have been taking care of Nasir Little. They want stuff for themselves. And then they're getting into a quick conversation about, okay, it's just Miami. They don't have anything over us, do they? And then that's when Dawkins says it's Adidas. And then Miller just kind of, he says yes or makes a noise. And then that's where the, the actual tape ends. So I don't think that's nearly as bad as what you will wind up hearing Will Wade say. Right. I mean, the Will Wade, I'd, listen, uh, I, I'd say the same thing about the Will Wade stuff. As I said, when it, initially came out like there's no way to interpret what will said on that wiretap as anything other than he was trying to violate ncaa rules to get javante smart there's just no there's just no sensible way to interpret that right Um, there's no like i I like will i've known him for a long time there's no sensible way to interpret that any other way than the entire world outside of lsu um has interpreted that and i i really do think this is similar not as straightforward but when Christian Dawkins says these two guys want something for themselves and Sean responds by saying Miami doesn't have an advantage over us in that area, do they? To me, there's no way to interpret that other than, listen, okay, we got to take care of these people. Well, you know, okay, fine. Miami's not going to outdo us. They, they're not, they don't have an advantages over us when it comes to taking care of those guys. I mean, that's what he's saying, isn't right. it? Right. He comes off. Uh, I'm not absolving Sean Miller in this at all. I'm saying it is not incriminating. 
he just comes off wise to the game, wise to the scheme. And then there's another bit where they end up talking about Will Wade and Miller's like, I, I tip my hat to him. The guy's got <laughs> huge cojones. He doesn't, you know, he's, he says he has huge balls. And uh, and so, yeah, no, he comes off like he knows exactly what's going down. But it's the, – the, both the tapes are pl- – the, both the conversations are played within the same four-and-a-half, five-minute thing. And Miller is first and then Wade. And it's just like when you hear Miller, you're like, okay, that's not that's not great. And then you're like, Wade, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it, just, it, just, it just takes off. So uh, when you see it, and it comes closer to the end of the documentary uh, – it's yeah, it's it's and then Dawkins is like, it's his his quote after the Will Wade stuff is he like he he credits him because he's a gang he's like he's a gangster for that he's, he's definitely <laughs> a gangster. So. We'll see. I mean, at this point, I think they're I think they're both going to keep their jobs. You know, mm. I, I I think I think <sighs> fans and administrators ha- are capable of two things: either convincing themselves they're not hearing what they're hearing, or convincing themselves it's not that big of a deal. And like that, that's yeah. that ultimately, yeah. Yeah. I think whenever the next college basketball season starts, Sean Miller will be coaching Arizona. And I think Will Way will be coaching LSU. Uh, all right. Uh, and I think, they, and I think, but I do think they were both breaking rules. I think they were both breaking rules. The big quote from um, Christian Dawkins in it is like, you know, Sh- Sean Miller has to know everything that's going on. Book was loyal to Sean. Arizona was definitely more open to getting some S done. And I, and I understand, like, you could just be dismissive of, of Christian Dawkins if you want to. I, and Arizona fans will. I don't think he's lying about that. I'm not saying he's told the truth about everything, but I don't, I don't think he's lying about that. Anyway, we'll talk about it on the next podcast. Question three comes from Bruce. What are the top five positions for premarital sex, and how do their Ken Palm ratings change once you've completed your nuptials? Norlander, I'll let you take that one. You, you no, know, I'm not going to take this one. You, you literally took it. Particularly, here's the deal. I, <laughs> I didn't realize this was going to become, oh uh, gosh, I didn't realize this was going to become a theme of the podcast. Particularly when there are um, such loyal listeners, fathers who are tweeting at us videos of their middle school age sons repeating back basketball stat <laughs> not repeating back what you thought I was going to say repeating back basketball stats they have learned from the podcast okay i am all the more hesitant to diverge into this area because i don't <laughs> i don't want uh the hardcore hoops fans of a certain age to uh t- to have their innocence just completely ripped away by both you and i I, I cannot answer the question. I cannot um, answer that. You remember the video that was sent though? Like it was a sweet video. This dude, this this, and apologies to the young bo- uh, the young man because uh, he's clearly a big fan of the podcast. You're awesome, man. That's why we love doing this pod. But when I see that kind of stuff, people like you know, telling back like uh, stats we mentioned on the pod, like then I'm like, oh uh, yeah, no, it's it's funny, but I can't can't dive yeah. into that. I, I, I only included it because it made me laugh when I read it. It is. Uh, no, I, I saw it too. And I was like, this is, that's where I hope the people that look at the reviews, like you can go ahead and keep on living in your little world uh, on the reviews and keep it up with it. Cause it is, it, it, it is funny. And the flying Dutchman stuff <laughs> was just an all timer. It really was. I will say the one point I do think Bruce is, is not the one point, but a thing the he, how does the Ken Palm rating change <laughs> after you've completed your nuptials? I do think, the Ken Palm rating, the efficiency owns, goes down. The, no, I think I think I, I think as you get older, the Ken Palm ratings adjust. <laughs> the, 
they they do. Yes, they they do. Um, I, I think you're more reliant on uh, on the luck factor. Uh, I think that can certainly uh, that can that can be a big time deal there. And um, yeah, no, I I I, I agree. Uh, seems to be a lot more passing going on uh, after. Uh, I think that's also very much the case, though. And a wonderful question. I appreciate the creativity. I was sitting downstairs um, earlier, you know, just prepping for this and. Uh, um, I was at the table, the dining room table, and my wife walked by, and I'm, I'm just reading. You know, she sees me staring at my computer screen. I'm, I, I actually LOL'd. I actually laughed out loud when I read that that whole comment, but especially the question. And she was like, "What are you laughing about?" And I, I read it to her, and she was like, "Well, what do you think?" And I was like, "I'm not having this conversation <laughs> with you right now. I got, I got, I got to go upstairs." And I'm do- gonna go talk to the other person I'm married to now. Yeah, I got it. Exactly. I got to go study the 1979 national championship game i don't have time to discuss premarital and postmarital with you we'll do that later oh. so anyway hey remember when we were we were going to make this a fast podcast 30 minutes is what i said it, it, but that's because you started wanting to talk about gonzaga ucla for 25 minutes i know but that was that was fun man and now we got indiana duke going on this was a classic we talked about that on the previous yeah one. dane fife is on the court dane fife is on the court man oh Current Michigan State assistant Dane Five. How about that? There we go. Aren't you? Aren't you glad we got HD television in the year 2020? We might not have basketball, but at least we got HD TV because watching these old games, I don't remember. Like, how did we ever watch these? Well, I, I, yes and no because I do think that it didn't look this bad because you were looking at a standard definition game on a high definition screen, whereas back in the day, it looked a little bit clearer than what it looks like now, if you follow what I'm saying. Yes, and I think also is we had never seen anything crisper yes. than we were watching, so you didn't even know you didn't even know what great television looked like. Um, it, I had, it's a little bit like, um, you know, you, can, you could watch an you know, a, a inexpensive television in your home and it'll, and it'll, you'll be like, ah, it looks great. But if you ever take a then super expensive television, put it right next to your not expensive television, you'll realize why yours didn't cost that much money. (laughs) Like you can't really tell the difference unless you're seeing it side by side. So when we were watching this 2002 sweet 16 game, we didn't know what HD television was going to look like. So we probably weren't bothered at all, but looking back on it now, like I, Carlos Boozer was blurry as could be. <laughs> blurry, blurry Carlos Boozer. Um, as we go here, the other reason why I was like, okay, we're gonna do a thirty-minute pod. I can finally the amount of do not spoil anything for me here. Hmm. The amount of relentless discussion about this Tiger King documentary. Like I'm going to cave. It's the same thing that happened with Making a Murderer when that, you know, two years ago or whatever, like it reached such ridiculous levels where people wouldn't stop talking and tweeting about it. I was like, all right, I'll finally do it. Making a Murder was really compelling. So now I was thinking I might have time to get like two episodes in. I might get one in tonight. I've heard it's just insane. Have you even started this thing yet or no? Yes, I'm four episodes in. I've got three episodes to go. And I, too, wanted to finish it tonight because every episode is like crazier than the one before. Like you really do go – I'm not going to ruin anything for yeah. you, but like you watch it and you go, okay, this is an interesting character. And then they introduce a new character and you're like, well, this person's wild. And then the, the episode three, you're like, what in the world? And then episode four, which was one I watched late last night, I was like, what? Like you're just constantly going, what? Like it blows, it's, it gets crazier. Like I can't, and, and from everything I've read, like it gets crazier all the way until it's over. 
right? All it right. just it never stops getting. Cra- you go, man. Well, that that's the craziest thing in the world. And then, the, but 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 like twenty minutes later, you got the next craziest thing in the world. I will tell you, you won't. Um, what's the best way to say? You won't be bored. Like yeah. you know, sometimes you start something, you're like, I don't, you know, what's going on here? I don't know if this is for me. You won't be bored. It's it's fast paced and wild. Here's my question for you. So we'll po- let's say we'll podcast again like Sunday night or whatever, right? Um, I'll try and get through it by then. But I can't get. I'm not going to get two done tonight. It's too late. Should I not start it, or is it is? Can I watch the first one and be like, okay, that was wild and crazy, but I got to see the next one. Like, is it better not to start it, or should I, can I start one and then pick up tomorrow at some point? I will tell you every night that I've tried to watch, I don't stop watching. I fall asleep. I just can't be doing this. All right, I'm not doing it tonight. I'm yeah, not. so I, I I don't stop watching. I just fall asleep while it's playing. Um, because you like I, I tonight I I've got work to do. <laughs> it's just to talk about the premarital, and they're like, "This is how I live my life now." By the way, I'm like I'm just falling asleep while it's playing. <laughs> Sounds just like you're just living it up over there. Yeah, no, I just uh, dude, this this whole. Like this is no way to live. Like this, this, this quarantined at your house. Like I'm, it's actually starting to affect my mood. I'm not depressed, but I'm, like I'm, I, I don't. I'm just not motivated, right? I'm just like not. Uh, maybe I am depressed. I have a lot of signs of depression. I'll tell you this: we have never gone this many consecutive podcasts over an hour. So I think on some level you're trying to, you're just trying to stay away keep me occupied here and I, yeah i think you're i think you're showing some unintentional signals yeah maybe maybe we could let's break down that gonzaga ucla game <laughs> one more time i gotta get out of here buddy i gotta upload I, this bu- this puppy too i'm just trying to make sure my kids are asleep before i go back downstairs <laughs> that's that's also true well you know what we can wrap up here and you can just continue to talk to yourself and pretend like you're podcasting right i'll just go to youtube find some old clips of myself and just play them really loudly it'll sound like i'm talking about basketball it's, it'll almost be like you're home aloneing the rest of your family. They, they uh, think that's uh, something's going on there. Yeah, I've, I've got to finish an NBA mock draft. That's actually what I have to do tonight. Well, there you go. All right, good deal, man. All right, we'll catch up in uh, yeah, we'll catch up in a few days here. We've given the people plenty to listen to. Hope everyone's enjoyed our random tangents. And even if you didn't, what else are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, you're better than. Li- you're like 85 minutes into this podcast. So thanks <laughs> yeah, for too late around. now. Yeah. You really, you should have figured out this sucked about, about 80 <laughs> minutes ago. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Lauren now. Please go subscribe. Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. While you're there, rate it favorably. Five stars. Leave some nice comments. Ask a question if you want. We'll get to it perhaps on next week's Mailbag. Either way, though, we will talk to you again this weekend. Until then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? 
and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.